0: No, for contrast, for my bit will No, for the
1: Welcome to the History of Music podcast where we discuss music and lyrics that have historical significance. I'm here with Sean, the resident expert in history and pop punk and just being a good dude. How's it going, Sean?
2: Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I am not an expert and as you know, we're anti-credentialism on this show, but I appreciate right. the compliment. But you are I'm the resident good. expert.
1: Out of all out of everyone that is a regular on this podcast, you're the, <laughs> you're the most expert.
2: I'm just the best at BSing. <laughs>
1: That's true. We're also joined and privileged to be joined by Bob the Duck. Um, I don't think you, yes, welcome. I don't think you realize how much we owe you here at the History Music Podcast. I don't think it would be what it is without uh, your influence on on Twitter.
3: Pleasant to hear that. I like to be a good influence for people.
1: We we've stolen a lot of people from your uh, from your group chat. Yeah, I That's know.
2: <laughs> Yeah, when I think <laughs> I think true. you're the catalyst of Scott and I, like we were already kind of Twitter mutuals, but you're the catalyst of Scott and I like kinda of vibing over this podcast and kind of brought us together. So you're our uh Yoko Ono or whatever. <laughs> the opposite. Opposite. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the yeah, opposite you're here. the opposite of that is.
3: Yeah. 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 Uh music's something I care about a lot. I was first introduced mm-hmm. to music as a concept when I was about ten years old is when I heard, like, my first music ever. And I'd, like, heard heard music before, but never on my own, never, like, on purpose, just, you know, background stuff in stores and stuff, and that's all just store stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first song I ever heard and listened to was Blue by Eiffel 65. <laughs> so that was nice. my, that's my starting point. That's my home base for music. Okay.
2: Well, and there's nowhere to go from there but up.
3: Right, no, it's great. I still love Eiffel 65.
2: Well, it's funny you bring it's funny you bring that up because literally just yesterday, my kids, my oldest son is thir- thirteen, almost fourteen, and they go down from there. But my kids literally sing that song all the time. I don't even know where they heard it because I have never played it for them.
3: Dude,
1: my kids, my my kids sing it
3: too. They love it. It's not actually my favorite song by them. I, I like a lot of their other songs a little bit better. Though, though it's a hit, it's a classic, right? Mm-hmm. But one of their members dropped off, and they reformed as Bloom 06 later, and uh, their their vibe changed a little. Um, they became a lot more down tempo. I want to say like a little more moody, r- mm-hmm. right? But they still have a lot of the like weird funky synths and stuff going on. And they're still singing in Italian and stuff. Uh, they're not the best lyricists, but but I still love them and I, and I like a lot of their songs.
2: Well, we're I guess this this is now the Eiffel 65 Stan podcast. Now, thank Good you again. for being here. <laughs> From it's funny, there. It's funny. Well, it's funny you said just to interject, and I'll, I'll let you continue. Yeah. Um, when you said that that was the first song you heard, I was literally in high school when that song came out now i feel really old that, that really, when I
3: first got into music was eiffel yeah. 65
2: well good for you man good place to start but yeah go ahead go ahead
3: and from there my, my music tastes have diverged i'm uh very eclectically i believe there's some good in everyone and in every genre so i i enjoy like diving into genres that i hate or that are very foreign to me and like listening to a very broad expanse of their music to find stuff that I do like within that genre.
1: Well, that's uh that that's a very patient of you. I don't think I have the patience to to do that to sit through so much. Well, well you don't right? have to
3: sit through entire so songs. So much punishment, yeah, so much punishment. <laughs> you you well, get a pretty good feel for a lot of stuff in the first few seconds. Yeah, that's um, true.
1: Although I have a hard time like. Sometimes I don't really like a song until I've listened to it three times or so, three or four times.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Songs grow on you.
2: So, Bob, have you have you found a genre yet that you just do not vibe with yet, no matter how much you try?
3: Um, I'd have to look, but... There's not, like really... a Bob,
2: there's not like a Bob the Duck, like, blacklist genre. You just like, <laughs> like I've tried, I cannot get into this.
3: A lot of pop stuff like okay. right anything by imagine dragons it's my kids favorite band <laughs> that's fine but i hate them uh your kids too
2: <laughs> I, I, same actually on both for, the for
3: liking them no i i'm fine with people liking you know trashy music it's okay
2: i feel like i feel like the it's acceptable if they're children so it's like you know it's okay yeah, it's okay. yeah no judgment
3: I'd say so. So, like, Imagine Dragons. My, my least favorite song of all time is "All the Single Ladies."
2: Yeah, the the Beyonce one. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
3: But uh, I I did uh, nine years of competitive ballroom dance, and so I and and after that, I did like five or six more years of like casual country swing dance, and so I'm a decent dancer. And so when I'd go to like clubs and parties and dances and stuff, it would always bother me like the kind of pop music that they would play and how undanceable it was. Right. And so a lot of those genres of songs I I can't uh, get behind, especially the um, I want to call them like flashlight songs or like penguin waddle songs, penguin waddle being the dance you do with a girl to them. (laughs) It was, like, very slow, like, da-da-da-da, you know, just so, like, passionate, but, like, vapid, utterly vapid. Uh, I've always hated that stuff. And and then in those songs where they, like, do the phone flashlight waving back and forth, like, Uh, if a song is good for that type of thing, odds are
2: I will not like it. So not not a fan of ballads, then?
3: Not a fan of... Well, ballads are okay, right? Because ballads are... A lot more orchestrated and stuff like they're very thoroughly composed and stuff i'm thinking like i don't even know a, a good example of them because i just stay away from them right but like i went to a weezer concert once and they had a bunch of songs like that and uh just couldn't get behind it
2: yeah i get that well plus like if you're i mean i didn't know you're a ballroom dancer that's awesome man i don't know anything about ballroom dancing i know what it is but my experience of ballroom dancing is like what they do on like pride and prejudice which i know is not ballroom dancing but that you know to the uninitiated that's what i think it is but i can imagine like trying to dance to something what this isn't from the baroque period how am I supposed to dance to this you know so I, <laughs> you, I,
3: you can I ballroom dance to Eiffel 65's blue it's a cha-cha you can you can dance to just about anything if you know the the uh, time signature, and you don't need to know the time signature, like if you dance, you can tell what dances will work
2: with with what music. Um. Well, I think I think that's I think that's an idea for your next podcast. Can you ballroom dance to this? just like people suggest songs like can you actually yes you can ballroom dance to that
3: i I mean there's exceptions like you can't ballroom dance to dubstep obviously (laughs) you you could dance until the drop and then you'd be kind of shot for a little bit uh, before (laughs) you have to pick it back up
2: that's awesome well i I appreciate men kind of giving us a roadmap of like where you are musically um would you be willing to tell us a little bit about yourself just kind of what made you who you are and just, I guess, for the, the people listening, just tell us a little bit more about Mr. Bob the Duck.
3: Okay. I, so like I said, I, I started music with Eiffel 65 and Europop as like my home genre. And I expanded very rapidly from those into the various techno genres. EBM, uh, dark Darkwave, Synthwave, Synthpop, um, new, new Wave music. And I settled on a home somewhere around there, probably in the dark wave music or industrial Mm -hmm. genres. I I love music with a very strong beat and very aggressive power behind it, driving, you know? I don't often get into moods where I enjoy, like, soft classical and want to listen to that sort of stuff very, very often. Around high school, I start, like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but those industrial and dark wave, those musics are very, like, gothic. You'd, you'd play them at a goth club. And and goths aren't really a thing anymore. They're all, like, pink-haired, you know, crazy liberals now. Yeah,
2: it's kind but, of a meme now, the goth thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The,
3: there, there's not really actual goths anymore. They're all just kind of, like, like, social justice warriors, I feel like. But you would play those kind of musics at goth clubs. So I got into goth music. And a lot of very, like, I don't know the word, but like, Goths love, like, the kind of Catholic big imagery and stuff. But, like, with like. Well, it's gothic. It's where the word comes from from. gothic. Lots of, like, blood and, and despair kind of imagery and stuff. And I really ended up liking that aesthetic and getting into it. And, but I found that a lot of Goths in that, a lot of that sort of scene. I quickly, you, you never want to meet your heroes, right? And I found that a lot of the artists I looked up to in that very, th- this very emotional, passionate sort of um, lyric style and and embrace of darkness motifs that you'd find in the songs. But they, they'd often have politics that were just abhorrently uh, shallow, right? Which kind of broke my heart a little bit uh you you got the uh was it Moldbug or bennett or someone talking about how reactionaries are just heartbroken liberals and so i find myself often in a situation where i like long for a, a world where that sort of stuff can work and not be like soul destroying and decaying and stuff which is where I come from with a lot of my criticisms on Twitter and my racism and sexism and misogyny and all the laundry list of it is because I, I want, I, I have great sympathy for a lot of the liberals criticisms of society. They're just too narrow to work. And, and I want a world where they can, they can still feel that, but they understand the broader picture and can be sane about it.
2: Okay. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you breaking down like kind of what makes you you musically for us. Um, so the the song that we're discussing today is um, a song by the band Block Party. It's Hunting for Witches. So Bob, if you wouldn't mind just give us like a brief rundown of just your history with the band and or this song and, and maybe why you suggested it. And we'll kind of get into the lyrics after yeah. that.
3: Right. I just, um, a friend recommended them to me sometime in high school and she was uh, a close friend of mine through high school and growing up. And she was one of those that as she grew up kind of got into liberalism and I don't know how to describe it, decayed, right? She, she like got so wrapped up in her like social justice warriorism that she lost all the personality and vibrancy and became kind of a, a bitter shell of who she used to be, but we were very close at the time, And she introduced me to the song and I had a bit of a crush on her. And so I was primed to like, like their stuff when she was sharing them with me. Uh, We went through, I I went through, you know, all their, their uh, songs and stuff and, and would listen to them occasionally. I don't have like a great history of like the band having a good meaning to me. I just like the beats and and the uh, the songs and stuff the the perspectives behind the songs
2: also. Nice, okay. that's cool, man. Awesome. Well, uh, so I mean, we should probably give like a little bit of preface, just about like a little tiny bit about the band and like what the song talks about, because the song it, it's fairly clear what it what it's describing in the lyrics, but it's not like explicit as far as what it's actually referencing with some of these these lines. Um, but so Block Party, I actually didn't know this. I, I, like, I, like I told you guys before the show, I had heard of Block Party. I had heard some of the snippets of their songs because my wife kind of liked them from back in the day. Um, but I didn't know anything about their politics. I didn't know anything where they were from. Didn't know anything about them. So I learned that Block Party is actually a British band. And the singer is actually, he's British, but he's a son of Nigerian immigrants that was raised in England. Which I think sort of colors some of what he's saying in this song, which we'll probably get to later. But the song is "Hunting for Witches," and the song actually came out January twenty fourth of two thousand seven. It's on their second album, which is called "Was It Like a, a, a Night in the City" or something like that. "A Weekend in the City" um, from two thousand seven, and actually, we're coming up on like the anniversary of when the song came out. But the uh, the song taught, the, the, the I, I read like some some um, interviews that the singer did. The singer's name is Roland Kela Chukwu Okareke, or some variation thereof. But he goes by Kela, that's his nickname. And he, he grew up in London, and the whole band is from London. And so he wrote this song essentially right after some of these events portrayed happen. And, and what, what he talked about the song being based on is both the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Centers, and also what the Brits call 7-7, or the July 7th, 2005 London bombings. And if you guys want, I can give like a little bit of background on like the bombings themselves for our American audience that may not know what this is, unless you guys have like anything you wanna interject. I promise I won't monologue, but so 9-11, everyone's heard of that one. It's, it's September 11th, 2000, 2001. You know, a couple planes flew into a couple buildings. I'm not going to glaze over it, but just that's what that's talking about. But the July 7th, 2005 London bombings, we call them September 11th, 9-11. The Brits, their, their 9-11 was basically the, this, this bombing in, in 2005, and they call it 7-7 because it happened July 7th. Uh, but basically what it was, was a series of, there, there was these four, at least that we know of, four kind of Islamic jihadist guys that were all Britons. They were all British. They were three of them were Pakistanis that had been raised in England, and one of them was a Jamaican guy that had converted to Islam. And all of them were from like the Leeds area of England. And they basically coordinated this series of suicide bomb attacks in London. The first three happened within like 50 seconds of each other, about a minute apart, and they were on different London underground trains. And for, for those who don't know, as I understand it, the London Underground is kind of like our subway, isn't it? We kind of consider it like a subway. So it's basically a subway yeah. attack where these guys basically had some explosives in their backpack. They walk onto the onto the, the subway car, and then you know a minute or two after they're on the subway car, they blow it up and just try and kill as many people as they can. So that was the first three attacks where these guys walk on these separate trains. They blow themselves up. About an hour after these three attacks happened, a separate guy boards one of those British double-decker buses, like the red ones you see in all the movies. He, he boards one of those buses that's going through London and sets a bomb off there, killing himself and a bunch of people on board. So they, they were all connected. And um, supposedly there was like other bombs that may have been planted elsewhere that people found and didn't weren't detonated or whatever. But the main attack was these four things. July 7th, 2005, and it basically happened between 8.49 a.m. and 9.47 a.m., and uh, the total death toll was 56 people, including the four bombers themselves. But the, f- the four bombers plus, I guess, 52 people, and it injured like over 700 more.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And and like I was saying before, this was kind of at the time, it was kind of like London's 9-11, where the country shuts down for a day or two. It's on the news constantly. I guess part of what made this such a crazy, um, kind of chaotic thing is once the first couple bombs went off in the, in the underground, the subway, all these people, cause they're commuting they're on the way to work. It's a commuter hour. They were trying to like leave and leave the tunnels and find other ways to either get home, get to work, whatever. And some of them were taking these double decker, double decker buses. And that's when one of the bombs went off is basically these people that had left the subway to get on the bus to kind of flee. And then the bomb goes off on a bus.
1: Yeah. In a, in a way that's, it's kind of a, a little more terrorizing, I would say like, yeah because with the with the planes on nine eleven, they basically know how many planes are hijacked um mm-hmm. right um yeah but you don't know how many backpack bombs there are roaming around the city so it's, right it's kind of scary for, yeah. for the locals
2: yeah well and and um what was crazy about this is like, apparently none of these guys were known to the authorities beforehand, you know, cause they always do that every time it's like, Oh yeah, he was actually known to authorities beforehand. He'd been arrested before or whatever. These guys had almost like no history. Um, I guess the, the word they used in Britain at the time was they were, I think I call them clean skins or clear skins, I think, which basically means that they were, they were like definitely Islamist people living in England, but they weren't on any kind of a watch list. They didn't have any prior history of being radicalized, but they discovered later that either all four or or at least most of the four guys had released these videos recording themselves before the attack, basically stating their motive. And every single one is basically voicing um, support for Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. And the main reason for them doing these bombings was because of the UK's support of Israel and the UK's support of America and specifically America's war in the Middle East or wars in the Middle East and also for like the UK's involvement in the Middle East over just over the years. So that that in in a nutshell is kind of what what this uh, this attack is uh, is about and kind of the, the the details behind it like 9/11 in in England in, in the US Kind of a total media circus afterwards, like twenty four seven coverage. Everyone having these theories, and like you know, stuff will come up of like, oh, there was another plane over here. Oh, never mind, that was a mistake. it's Kind of that that whole thing was going on the same time as this, similar to this two thousand five bombing. But that that's basically what I had on this.
3: Right, um, and when yeah. all this stuff was going on, the internet was fairly new i want yeah. to say that, that might not be an accurate statement in truth but it's kind of accurate in in practice like hu- humans aren't evolved to deal with a moral calculus of a million plus instances of bad news per day right mm-hmm. you grew up in villages you'd have some crazy event happen between two villagers and that was like the biggest thing you'd experience in your whole life and now we're plugged into this global information ecosystem and and everything that goes bad ever is, is beamed directly into your eyeballs. And so that that's kind of the, what you're talking about with like the pandemonium of, oh, there's a plane over here. There wasn't a plane over here. The, the, the gossip flying and, and nobody had any sort of mimetic immune system, I guess, to just terror, right? Terrorism or just news stories in general. I feel like nowadays most people have the sense that – News is lying or heavily biased, and and takes everything with a grain of salt that they don't
2: really see with their own eyes. You partly, know, I'm, be- partly because of things like this.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm skepticism. not skepticism. And, and, and surely, there's plenty of like believing the news going on with like COVID and stuff, but it's it's still not quite the same as. Well, no, I guess, I guess it is the same. Like, there, there's still the he said, she said going on all over the place by people that are just kind of new to it. You know, that, that aren't in it all the time and yeah. haven't had to help the defenses.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a, a stronger immune system now than there was then.
2: Well, I, I think partly it's because of this. This is the inoculation for our skepticism today. You know, it's like all these stories happening. Okay, you know what? I remember when this happened and I remember like just the, the media fury over it. And... Once all the actual facts come out, you know, years later sometimes, then it's like, okay, you know what? Now I'm a little bit more media savvy, so to speak, or a little more skeptical about what, what I'm what I first hear, because I remember, you know, oh, remember when they were recorded on or reported on that, and they said this happened, this happened, there was another shooter here or whatever, and it ended up being true. So it, it you know, it, uh, the, the 24-hour news cycle and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and that was something that I kind of wanted to, to know or talk about at least a little bit, is that the block party, they're writing this song, and they're liberals. Uh, yeah. This was, is this was George Bush era, mm-hmm. and the, the big- Tony Blair, yeah. Grand old party was the bad guys, right? right? And they're talking about these this media frenzy and storm. And they're calling it a witch hunt, right? That means there's you're, you're faking witches, or, or you're you're tromping off as a mob to go and attack witches that might not really be there, right? Because because you just want blood, right? Yeah. And that's what they're talking about in the song: is this frenzy for blood, the baying for blood, as they put it in the song.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's it. I guess what what the main catalyst for uh, Kelly, that's the singer, to to write this is. The, the bus because the, the three um, uh, underground bombs, um, the underground being the train system, they were all kind of like in a similar area, like you know along the same track or, on a, or you know kind of a similar area. The bus was a little bit further away in a different area and it was a bus rather than a train. but supposedly the catalyst for him writing this song was the bus bombing, which was the, the, the last of the four, was like a couple blocks from where this guy lived or and grew up and so he's 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 basically seeing something happen in his neighborhood literally and kind of seeing the results of that and then writing a song about it through his liberal bias while also being the son of immigrants living in a foreign country right
3: but but he's he's playing it he he's he sees it happen next door to him and he's not out for blood right he's erring on the side of mercy for, you know, Muslim immigrants, which were the target of all the hatred following all these attacks, nine eleven. And and, and
2: he's he's not Muslim, we should probably clarify that the singer is not Muslim. Right. As far as we know, right? He's not Muslim, I don't think. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's Muslim at all. But he's
3: erring on the side of mercy, right? He's yeah. not that that's almost like an immediate forgive them thing. And and that for someone so close to the uh, tragedy, that's not an easy thing to do. And I think in these instances, the liberals were right, right. But but who do you see today that's that's like anti these things? You you had a lot of people calling Trump racist over the Muslim immigration policies, and and that's kind of echoes of the liberal uh, attitude, uh, uh, right? That you could see the the genealogy, mm-hmm. but all the things that the the government did in response to these things, like the creation of the TSA, right? You don't see many liberals c- criticizing those things, right? Th- those measures. It's, uh, it's a little interesting to me.
2: Yeah. So I, I think that's some decent preface. Like, Scott, do you have anything you want to add to that? Or should we just get into the lyrics and kind of see where it takes us?
1: No, I think the lyrics, we, we've kind of touched on some mm-hmm. of the things that the lyrics uh, touch on as well. So I think we should get in there and, and, uh, yeah, discuss those.
2: Cool. Yeah, so I think we should probably just go uh, verse by verse. Um Scott, do you want to start with verse one? We'll kind of just sort of take turns.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So it starts off with, I'm sitting on the roof of my house with a shotgun and a six-pack of beer. The newscaster says the enemy is among us as bombs explode on the 30 bus. Kill your middle-class indecision. Now is not the time for liberal thought. And then it goes, so I go for uh, the, I think it's the chorus, right? So I go yeah. hunting for witches, I go hunting for
2: witches, heads are going to roll, I go hunting for. Dot, dot, dot. And, then it, and then it starts the next verse. Mm-hmm. So this one, you guys can interject. My thought on this one, especially verse one, that I'm sitting on the roof of my house with a shotgun and a six pack of beers, six pack of beers, six pack of beers, that this, this is written by a Brit. And so this sounds like he's lampooning Americans. Yeah. He doesn't say it, but that's kind of what it's implied. And it's funny because um, if you look on like the Genius Lyrics thing, there's actually like a little uh, like asterisk thing you can click on, on that line, the six pack of beers. And it says, hey, just FYI, a shotgun could be a gun, but could also be a certain way to drink beer. <laughs> like just mm-hmm. to clarify for like all the <laughs> the euros out there, I guess. But I, I don't know why that line is in there other than just simply to to poke fun at the people he's going to, start yeah it know, seem, it seems like he's he's on. like
1: seems like he's poking fun at, at yeah americans like thinking they're going to defend their castle with their with their beer and their shotguns or something like that
2: yeah i guess but he starts with that which i thought was so interesting because he hasn't even set up the premise yet he just starts off of yeah i'm sitting on my house with a shotgun and a bunch of beers man mm. And well, then it, then well, the news comes on you know yeah he,
3: he's putting himself in the voice of a witch hunter right mm-hmm. that, that's what that's what their perspective the song is written from and whether it's really nuanced or not he he's writing as a person who is going to join the mob right who, who is primed for it one way or another to join a mob and all humans are primed to join mobs not maybe not all humans but like it's a very natural thing for humans to do
2: yeah well and so then the, the next chorus or the next i'm sorry the next verse is that the newscaster says quote the enemies among us and this says, as bombs explode on the 30 bus just a little aside here the 30 bus is the name of the bus that blew up in the london bombing um i think it's like the 30 line bus or something like that but that's just the name of the specific bus that blew up the one that was down the street from this guy's house and this is as the bomb as bombs explode on the 30 bus kill your middle class indecision now is not the time for a liberal thought i don't know sometimes this this it feels a little too on the nose considering who's writing it but it's this idea that the guy on tv is telling this dude here on his roof with a shotgun and a bunch of beers like, Hey man, the enemy could be anywhere. He's among us right now. He's living amongst us in plain sight kind of a thing.
3: It wasn't as bad as like world war two where Japanese people were being put in like internment camps or something. Right. We didn't, we yeah, didn't, yeah. we didn't concentration camp Muslims in response to nine 11, but there was the idea that that was kind of where it was going. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. We didn't do that until COVID rolled around. So that thankfully that we didn't do that at this time, but it's just interesting. Kill, kill your middle-class indecision. Now is not the time for liberal thought. And it's implying that that's also what the news is telling him. This mm-hmm. is this, this beer drinking shotgun guy. And then the, then the chorus that you read, Scott. So I go hunting for witches. I go hunting for witches. Heads are going to roll. I go hunting for, and then it picks up verse two. Bob, do you want to pick up verse two? We'll kind of go there.
3: In the 90s, optimistic as a teen, now it's terror. Airplanes crash into towers. The Daily Mail says the enemies among us, taking our women and taking our jobs. The reasonable fool is being drowned out by the nonstop bang, bang, bang for blood.
2: Yeah, so you guys, <laughs> thoughts on that one? I don't I don't want to monologue as I usually do. So you guys...
1: I mean, Go again, it's it's very uh, over the top, on the nose. Mm-hmm. They're calling out the Daily Mail. The um, I think it's a more conservative-leaning newspaper in England is that correct Yeah yeah,
2: yeah. well it, one thing i thought was was kind of interesting is the chorus is it the chorus ends with i go hunting for and it's blank and then it picks up the next verse right away the 1990s and so it's almost like it's it's like i don't know it's like a flashback or something but he's talking about himself growing up in the 1990s as a teen kind of optimistic outcome oh the 2000s will be so great and whatever and then well, now
3: I, go ahead yeah i i wasn't a teen in the 1990s but I do remember it. I remember that racism was pretty much solved. <laughs> uh, I remember Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged coming out and it was the most racist thing ever and everybody loved it. And um, you talked about my music chat and Giordano from your last week episode, He he had posted a an 80s, 90s uh, disco song in the chat once and I was watching the u- music video and you had like the full like diversity cast of, of like all, all these different colors and faces in like Skechers and the 80s fashion in in the city and they were all getting along together. And that's how I remember the nineties is, is it was just a very nice time. and You could do pretty much everything and no one was going to come after you for it. Nobody lived in fear or terror. And, and that's how it was. And so he, and, and like I said, like with the liberals response to like the witch hunts, like the liberals were correct in, in this instance that it was going to lead to lockdowns and, and, uh, fear and all that stuff and and i'm you know as racist as the next guy but i'd like to live in harmony which which means like yeah okay you're a different color you're a different race whatever you have your own things and i have my own things and we mesh those things in me and we do the america mixing pot and we come up with something good together it's, it's the diversity dream you know and that's possible it does happen sometimes but it doesn't happen as much anymore because lines have been drawn very brightly, among other reasons. And yeah, so yeah. And he's, he's longing for the 90s. Everyone longs for the 90s. Everyone loved the 90s and has yeah, huge yeah. nostalgia for it.
2: Well, it's, it's literally in style right now. That's like the clothing styles are coming back as the '90s style. And this this guy's writing this in 2007, or, you know, 2006, 2007. But yeah, he, he basically kind of talks about how his his 1990s optimism is basically shattered with 9/11, which is in 2001, right? Right after the '90s ended with these mm-hmm. airplanes crashing into towers.
1: Well, yeah, that, that is um, kind of that is kind of the when I guess you can say every, everything changed basically. Like, the, there's. As far as like that, that optimism, that like '90s upward trajectory line graph in society, if it, it feels like things changed in the '90s in after nine eleven, and then yeah, and it wasn't,
3: yeah. and it's not like the conservatives were necessarily like wrong either. Like he 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 calls out in his song that like. They're, they're talking about they're taking our women in and taking our jobs, you know, and that's like objectively something that does happen. Like immigrants do take up slots in jobs, right? It's not like the conservatives were wrong either. But he's wa- he, he's writing in the in his perspective as he watches all this fracturing happen, right? And I think it's correct to be a little heartbroken as you watch, you know that that fall apart.
2: Yeah. Well, it's to, to go back to what you are talking about earlier, Scott, the, the next line, he says, the Daily Mail says, and then the quote, the enemies among us taking our women and taking our jobs. So you're right. The Daily Mail is a, a British like tabloid newspaper. It's been around since like the, eight, the late 1890s. Mm-hmm. And it's, I believe it's like one of the largest newspapers or news sources in Britain. And they are known for being like the conservative newspaper. And so there it's, I guess it's like Britain's Fox news, I'm assuming is what it would be like because it's conservative for British standards, but if you read their stuff, it's pretty center right. It's not like ultra conservative, you know, but, but basically in this, they're kind of lampooning the Daily Mail is basically just kind of stirring and fomenting all this distrust amongst the populace by basically telling people the enemy is among you, that these immigrants are taking our jobs or taking our, our women. And I think it's a different, a different. Uh, it's kind of an interesting, not different, but an interesting point he says. Because taking the jobs thing, that's been that's been a, a, a issue with immigrants in a country since the beginning of time. Anytime a new people come in, oh, they're taking our jobs. They're going to replace us. That's always been the complaint since like Roman times. It, it but, even
1: happened in Rings of Power if you watch that show. <laughs> yeah, that's right, the Rings of Power.
2: Yeah, uh, but the, the taking our women is interesting because I, I hadn't really heard that especially not in this era. I had not heard of immigrants taking our women or maybe, maybe it was a British thing, but I, but I do know that that kind of became like at least a, a, a somewhat of a, of a notable um, news story in the past, maybe five to eight years where these like grooming gangs of supposedly Islamic guys in England and London that would basically go around just essentially raping women and young girls and I thought it might be referencing that or or like the supposedly yeah, probably the probably
3: not. I, I get you know the impression so? he's more just kind of parodying conservatives here. Oh, okay. Right. Just just he he doesn't have a good mental model for how conservatives work. And so that's why what he's going for. They're taking our okay. women.
2: Yeah, I wasn't and, sure. So do you think it's more like a racism approach? It's like, oh, these conservatives don't like to see biracial couples and they're taking our women, and that's is that the issue that he's kind of Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think but, he's
3: just kind of writing from a shallow perspective there.
2: Okay, that makes sense. I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar, but yeah. So the Daily Mail, because people are watching the Daily Mail, what he's implying here is if you're if you're reading the Daily Mail or watching the Daily Mail about these events, then all reasonable thought is being drowned out by the nonstop baying for blood. I mean, that seems a bit harsh, but okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't reading the Daily Mail in the mid 2000s so I don't know exactly what their headlines and what they were writing about. I'm not uh, ready now, but but that seems a little over the top. Yeah, I've never read it. I,
3: I don't think he's like looking at Daily Mail headlines and just going for. He's just, he's just propping them up as a symbol, right? Yeah. But like, if you look at like the actions of George Bush following 9/11, like going and invading Iraq, Afghanistan for 20 plus years, like it it was obviously like a bloodthirst thing, and and military industrial complex and shadowy benefits between under the table deals between bigger big figures and stuff but like it, it was not a justified re- response to just invade the whole country right, Bob, right. they had
2: weapons of mass destruction man
1: <laughs> right so, so I, I guess the, the criticism i have then is just like you like you said earlier the word shallow it, it feels just like a shallow poke at um that conservatism
2: well it's a parody it's a parody of conservatives
1: yeah exactly and, and so it's it's just kind of a i don't know
3: it's, it, it's a caricature right yeah. you, you don't need to have a, a good fidelity picture he only has like a song to to spit this out and even if he wanted to give a really really good complex nuanced view of of what conservative thought was the point is that like he he's experiencing this right it, yeah. it's just his perspective as he watches all this stuff happen America goes to some stupid war in the desert and mm. and all this stuff goes down and it wasn't really justified and and liberals were you know right at the time and I, I think anti-war liberals are kind of an extinct breed you know you, you see what the uh, russia ukraine war they're all super excited about yeah about I think that.
1: that they've always been less anti-war and more just like their their side of things but but um yeah i think to your point bob uh, I, th- I think that he 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 didn't write this tr- write this trying to be to give like a a nuanced approach or like a measured approach he's was, he was mad and and wrote it out of i don't know if it was out of anger but out of uh spite or it, it, the the goal of the of these lyrics isn't to be to reach the other side it's to right to it's them. not
3: pro, it's not a pro conservative message but i wouldn't have been pro like republicans at the time either right i i was against the afghanistan war the whole time right i think most of us probably were but the liberals were not the ones in power when that happened yeah uh, in theory in theory right if if we're putting aside the one party system and all that stuff that's kind of become more apparent since.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Partly because of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. Yeah. So the, uh, after that verse and it goes to the chorus again. So I go hunting for witches. I go hunting for witches. Heads are going to roll. I go hunting for, and there's a bridge and I'll, I'll read that one. It says, I was an ordinary man with ordinary desires. I watched TV. It informed me. I was an ordinary man with ordinary desire. There must be accountability disparate and misinformed fear will keep us all in place and that's basically it it repeats the chorus again and then it repeats that that line i just read or those lines i just read again but i think i think he's kind of going back to the guy he's describing in the beginning this conservative just you know joe schmo middle class guy watching the daily mail you know going along
3: with the witch hunt yeah let's invade iraq
2: yep going along with the narrative he's being fed that there, you know there must be yeah, he's, he's, he's disparate and misinformed, but the fear is is being used to control me or us. And what I was going to say while you guys were talking about earlier about sort of the reasons why this guy wrote this song is he actually I have a quote here and I paraphrased it earlier, but he basically says that the thirty bus that he talked about earlier in Hackney, which is where it went off, um, is just around the corner from where he from where he lives and. The song was written when the singer, I'm paraphrasing what he said here, but he says, when he observed the reactions of the mainstream press in the UK, and he says he was amazed at how easy it had been to whip them, meaning like the audience, people, into a fury. And he says, I guess the point about the song for me is post September 11th, the media has really traded on fear and the use of fear in controlling people. And so it's this idea that, it's not. It it sounds like maybe he's just maybe he's lying to himself and lying to the, everyone else. But it sounds like the song is more on how the media whips people up into a frenzy and just basically gives them fear in order to control them, rather than being an anti conservative song. Well, p- yeah. Part
3: of part of the nostalgia of the '90s is the idea that the media didn't used to be like that. And yeah. I don't know. Maybe there. there if you. Uh, there's this trope where you're arguing with a Democrat and you're like, well, guess what your father's what your Democrat forefathers owned slaves in the South and the, and the slave owners were majority Democrats and you use that as kind of like an own on them and they don't care because they don't, you know, identify themselves with a hundred year old slave owners. <laughs> they, they identify themselves with whatever they're doing today. But if you really get into it over that, uh, they'll, there's a myth which might be true that the parties switched sides in the Civil War, so so the slaveholding Democrats would be identical to today's Republicans, and that they flipped after the Civil War. And I'm thinking, well, maybe the the parties flipped again after 9/11, where these anti-war liberals who are all against the media terror drive. You know, we 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 look again with like COVID and, and the same uh, the, the media terror. And controlling people through fear, we we are we're very experienced with that in very recent memory. Mm-hmm. And it was not the liberals that were against that terror, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That makes me makes you wonder if this uh, if this Kayleigh guy is would still be singing the same tune today with with the COVID hysteria and uh, using fear to control people. To use his own words, I wonder if I wonder if he's what he has to say
2: about about COVID. Um, well, it's interesting because I think part of the, the, the thought at the time, meaning at the time these things happened, because I, I remember, like, George W. Bush, I mean, I was in high school during these years. Um, and what I remember, and I grew up in California, so I was kind of in enemy, enemy territory already. But what I remember of the era is, if you were a conservative, not necessarily a Republican, but a conservative in any stripe, you still wanted to support your guy, George W. Bush in this case, just because to support anyone else was basically defeat or admitting defeat, or it was handing a win to the Democrats or what have you. We still kind of talk this way now, but just to give you an example, when I was in high school, there was a, um, I think it was a sophomore. There was a, uh, I don't even remember what, what it, what exactly what it was, but the the Dixie chicks, the country band, Mm -hmm. um, they, they they weren't at the time were not considered a liberal band. They weren't even overly political, but they made some comment, like publicly made a, a comment that was like mildly critical of George W. Bush and specifically his war in Afghanistan. And all these people after that, just because of that one comment were like throwing out their Dixie chick CDs and like boycott the Dixie chicks. It was kind of like one of like, it was like a cancel culture nowadays, what we call cancel culture. Hmm. And Um, some of my liberal classmates were like, I don't get it. All they said was we shouldn't go to war. And all these people are like, yeah, burn the Dixie chick CDs. Mm
3: -hmm. And now
2: what do we have now? The Dixie chicks literally changed their name to the chicks to not be associated with Dixie. You know, it's just, it's a weird world we live in, but that was kind of the, seemed to be the prevailing feeling at the time was, yeah, I don't agree with everything George W. Bush says, but I have to make it seem like I do because the, the alternative is worse. Whatever the alternative is, that was kind of the the, the feeling at the time.
3: Well, like I was saying, like it's very natural to for humans to join mobs, and if that mob is just throwing away Dixie Chicks CDs to try and hurt Dixie Chicks in a legal and nonviolent fashion, right? It, it's still a mob impulse, right? And and that's going to be common, you know, throughout all of history. But there's times when that is bad and doesn't work.
2: I actually, I had a, it's funny you say that because I had a, a history teacher, military, he was actually a military history teacher specifically when I was in high school. So the same era and he, he made that same comment about people just wanting to be a part of a mob. And he said, whenever we, I think he was talking about the Rodney King uh, riots way back in the nineties, but he was, he was talking about how whenever you have like a civil unrest, a mob, a riot, something like that. He said it's like the, the there's, there's always a core group. Like 10% of the group of people rioting are people that are actually doing it for the dogma or the reason or whatever the the, the outrage is, you know, racism or whatever. And the remaining like 90% are just people who, cool. who just want to burn stuff. They just want to cause mayhem, you know? I, I don't like, know if I'd
3: say they just want to cause mayhem. I mean, sometimes they do. Well, they just but- want to steal or whatever, you know?
0: Hmm.
1: Or they, or they just want to they just wanna yeah. fit in.
3: If, you if feel, if it's... feel part of something, yeah, right? Yeah. And when you're burning stuff, destroying stuff, you feel like you're accomplishing something. Yeah. Whether you're justified or not, you, you feel like you're part of a group and that group has more power than you would have individually. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an appealing thing if you feel like it aligns with you even slightly.
2: Right. Yeah. And, well, it, and so if... – Go ahead, Scott. Sorry,
1: I was just gonna say, it, and it extends beyond just like being at a rally and getting rallied up, and and then going and actually physically doing stuff, like in a group, because people in the in the like privacy of their own homes were throwing away CDs.
3: You you could post on social media about it, like when you talk to someone, oh, I throw away my. My CD, it's, it's a virtue signal in today's terms, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember
2: seeing news reports about it where it's like, yeah, people were throwing their Dixie Chick CDs and like a bunch of, it'd be like a, a couple of shots, you know, edited shots of like 10 girls so putting their Dixie Chick CD in a garbage can or whatever. But I remember because I had this, this um, a, a guy I went to high school with who was himself a liberal at, at the time, like a liberal in the in the early 2000s, I guess. So I, I don't know what that'd be now. But um, so he was, I remember him uh, trying to like justify the comment that Dixie Chicks made. And he's like, look, they weren't saying that they're like anti-America. They were just basically saying, Hey, maybe we shouldn't go to war in the middle East. And that was, that was basically, but he was right. Like, like you were saying, Bob, like he was a liberal, but he was right in this one instance, because we shouldn't, have gone, to war, we shouldn't right? have gone to war in the middle East. There was no reason to go there. Osama bin Laden wasn't even in the middle. What, he was in the least, <laughs> but he, he wasn't in Iraq, you know? Yeah. So why are we going to Iraq? So, the, uh, so the, other, the other comment he made is he told – this is a specific guy I'm thinking of. I'll, I won't say his name. But he told me that he went to a, uh, a protest, like a political protest. It wasn't a riot, nothing about a political protest that was specifically anti-war very, very 1960s, you know, but it was anti-war specifically, not anti-Bush and not anti-conservative or Republican. Now this guy hated all those things, but I remember him telling me in high school, no, no, here's the thing. Just because we say we're anti-war doesn't mean we hate America. Doesn't mean we hate the president. We just don't want war. I, I it, It's funny that he tried to make a distinction then because nobody makes a distinction now. It's all Mm -hmm. the same riots nowadays, you know, are liberals shouting, no borders, no wall, no USA at all, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so it's, it's like the, the it's, it's everyone's moved kind of further, further left in that regard, but it, it it's, you're, you're, you're kind of right where it's like these terrorist attacks and like the news surrounding was kind of a rude awakening for a whole generation of people. I think my generation, our generation,
3: Now, the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, I'm not as familiar with the London bombings, of course, but the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, like these attacks were not committed by a mob, right? It, It was not committed by Iraq or on behalf of Iraq or anything like that. It was just, you know, a couple single crazy dudes at the end of the bell curve, right? But what the aftermath has been, it's not been an anti-islamic meme but it's turned into an anti-christian meme is something that i've noticed Um, because the moral of 9-11 is religious extremism leads to terrorism right that that's that's the but only when it's christian that's the interpretation religious extremism leads to terrorism and that's what you'll encounter if you're a very strong christian is liberals will look at you and they'll be like this guy is on the edge of terrorism you know because you have very strong opinions because of your religion i i say i talk to god and god talks to me and he speaks to me and i get revelation and it's a very normal thing for me and like a liberal or or an atheist or whatever will pop up in my mentions and be like well what are you going to do when god tells you to blow up a building and i'm like that's not how religious extremism works but that's the meme that they have because of 9-11 and it's infected the whole United States culture. Um, the whole West is religious extremism leads to terrorism.
2: But only when it's but only when it's Christian nowadays, at least that seems to be the, the, the narrative. Well, well no, but like
3: liberalism isn't a formal formalized religion, right?
2: Yeah, almost. But it's it's still it's still painting that caricature of a, of yeah, a, of a You don't a, a get society. religious
3: extremism from Hindus or like Wiccans or Zeus worshippers, or <laughs> exactly. like, like, like what form would extremism in those religions even take? A- and in Buddhism, they become monks, right? And, and that's an instance of religious extremism, obviously not leading to terrorism. Or, or in the New Testament, uh, the religious extremists would turn the other cheek and get killed by Romans. And, and that was kind of their thing um, as religious extremists to do. Was to just be humble followers of Christ and to kind of enjoy being martyrs because, like, it, it was a privilege to to, to take a portion of, of suffering that Christ experienced.
2: I think there's, a, I think there's a difference between, I think, I think what we see a lot now is when you have people, they're not necessarily religious extremists, they're extremists who happen to be a religion. I think it's a separate thing. It's like this guy may have done that even if he wasn't a Christian or a Muslim. He may have just been an extreme kind of guy.
1: He was you just know, looking and, for a, a reason.
2: Yeah. I don't know but you,
3: you, you often don't see that in I mean we don't really have like the gay nightclub shooting or whatever wasn't like really terrorism. I, I don't think it falls under that category. It, it was just like a, a crazy extreme thing that happened. But you see whenever these things happen, the liberals being like, oh, he was a Christian. So he did this out of religious extremism and, and scrambling for a narrative like that. it's the it's the first instinct that's primed. So rather than to view it as like a crazy outlier, like the nine 11 bombings were, it, it's become the primary way of analyzing negative behaviors is mm-hmm. as if they were mob driven.
1: Yeah. The, no, nothing can just, can just happen because, because an individual had a gripe against an individual or, or something like that. It has to have a deeper meaning and they have to have a narrative to go along with it. And I think, uh, yeah, we agree that 9/11 kind of it not in this, it didn't really start that, but it definitely made it the norm. Like, well, it, it, it's it changed. Expected.
2: Yeah, it changed a lot of things. I mean, you'll see that every a post 9/11 world. Like, that's kind of the world we live in, right? So, it's changed a lot of not only just our skepticism with the media and you know maybe how we view the media or how we view our, our leaders, but also just in like how we have to travel nowadays because the TSA was created. All this other stuff has kind of really altered like. I don't want to say the century, but maybe it's, it's definitely a different time we live in now, partially because of that. I think things have been building up to that, but I think that was kind of like the main thing people can point to and be like, yeah, 9, 11 and you know, other attacks like it have, have changed how, how the world and how we view it. Yeah. So I guess to, to kind of um, finish up like the, the attacks themselves so, September 11th, we know what what happened there because um, most of our audience is American. So, they you know, built a, a monument. You know, do, a, we, you, do, we do we know? Yeah, do <laughs> no, so it's, it's funny you bring that up, Bob, because I was going to say that earlier. But, much like 9 11, how there's like 9 11 truthers and there's like 9 11 was an inside job, people said almost verbatim identical things about the July 7th attack in 2005. Like, in fact, there is a, they built a monument, not a monument, but they built a memorial to the July 7th attack. It's in Hyde Park in London. And they built it on like the fourth anniversary or something like that of it. And basically it's these like metal stainless steel pillars with the date printed on it. And they're kind of grouped into, there's one for each person that died and they're kind of grouped into which, bombing attack they died in and uh, there's no names or anything on them, but apparently like w- within like a year of them being built, they've been vandalized twice now with people like spray painting or writing with a marker on there. Like seven, seven was an inside job. Um, you know, Tony Blair Institute lied, yeah, Tony Blair lied. millions died, like that kind of thing. And I'm like, huh, okay. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that. I've heard that before. And I, I, I didn't look too much into it as far as like the, the conspiracy theories behind—I'm familiar with the conspiracy theories behind nine eleven. I'm not familiar with the conspiracy theories behind July seventh, the London bombings. But it sounds like it's kind of a similar sort of vein of thinking. Of yeah, this wasn't Islamic extremists; it was you know they were they were operatives of MI six or whatever. You know, but it's just it's just I think it's so funny that the it's so the, the two attacks are so similar and they're four mm-hmm. years apart.
3: Yeah, and, I, I imagine the, the drive to believe stuff like that. And I'm agnostic, like, I I don't really know whether 9-11 was an inside job or not. I I think for the purposes of, like, the narrative that religious extremism leads to, like, terrorism, I I think they must be considered... A, a, a myth, a fake thing that didn't happen. I think we're obligated to believe that it wasn't true. But as far as like whether like it actually was Islamic terrorism or a setup by Bush or who or the CIA or whoever, I, I don't really know or care. But I think the drive is like to avoid believing that crazy people exist and, and to avoid having to to remove them from the 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 group pool category right so so if they're islamic extremists then you have to grapple with like oh they're crazy outliers or they implicate the whole group in some way but if you believe that it was an inside job you can kind of circumvent the need to reason like that and you're like well governments do atrocious things all the time and so it's a very normal thing that they would do this and you don't have to to grapple as much with Well, mental illness happens and crazy people get out all the time.
2: But all those things are true, though. That's what makes it difficult. And Mm -hmm. it's funny you bring that up because um, there's uh, someone we bring up a lot on this podcast is Dan Carlin and his uh, Hardcore History podcast. But he has a he has a a segment on the First World War. And in the very beginning, that's one thing he brings up. And I think I brought up this before, but he talks about how uh, the Kennedy assassination of JFK. And how there's all these just just like 9-11 everything else. There's always theories of, oh, no, it was an inside job, whatever. It wasn't mm-hmm. what the, the lone gunman theory is, is, is just people don't don't believe it. And mm-hmm. he said he was talking to a friend. This is Dan Carlin said he was talking to a friend who wrote who wrote a book about the Kennedy assassination. And he says that he believes the assassination to JFK happened exactly the way the narrative says lone gunman. Lee Harvey Oswald from the book repository, whatever, that was it. And he said that the reason why a lot of these conspiracy theories come about is because people are extremely uncomfortable with the idea of one person, one man being able to do one thing and have such a a huge impact on the world. You know, Mm -hmm. because you assassinate JFK, you literally just... Assassinated the the leader of the free world at the time, right? So you 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 do one terrorist bombing, you know, like fly a plane into a building in nine eleven, and look at the results of it.
3: Like like, outlier humans are hard to predict.
2: Yeah, yeah, and so the idea is is like people don't like the idea that one crazy guy or one extremist or whatever could have that much power from doing one thing or or you know a series of a thing, and they don't. don't
1: We don't want to admit that our, um, our society, I guess you could say, is so fragile, right? That, that it could be toppled by a small group or even a single person.
2: Well, it's easier to believe. No, no. It's a conspiracy involving like thousands of people and millions of dollars. It's all the government. It's easier to believe that because that makes more sense.
1: And, and it makes someone in control. And we like when right. Like it's, it's just there's some sort of like weird comfort in someone being in control. Yeah, but Joker.
2: yeah
3: <laughs> but according, uh, to according to plan mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> well and uh, apparently um that they've had like still issues with other like suicide attacks in london after this and uh, there was actually an anniversary attack specifically on the anniversary of july 7th there's these two guys these two muslim guys they were planning on doing two more suicide bombs on the 10th anniversary of the July 7th attack, and, and, and um, going to be and, and the, the one of the guys, uh, his name was Mohammed Raymond. Uh, he apparently he called himself the Silent Bomber, and he asked his Twitter followers to choose where he should blow himself up, either the Westfield London or the London Underground again. And so these two guys were arrested with a bunch of like bomb making materials and like all this you know, urea nitrate. And they were sentenced to life in prison back in 2015 for it. Dang. But yeah. He's posting on
3: Twitter. How silent is he actually?
2: Yeah, I thought that was so funny. I was like, dude, is that, is that tweet still around? I want to find that. <laughs> was, it, was it a poll? I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I guess it's not, it's not funny to say that it's funny, but it's, it's. I don't know. It kind of makes me laugh a little bit. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, so that that's kind of. The two events that this is this is drawing on is 9-11 and this and the July 7th, 2005 London bombings, because like I said, they're four or five years apart. But it seems like like the singer's main beef with this song is, or the reason why he wrote it, is the media basically making everyone turn on, on each other. Mm. Whatever 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 your politics are. Now yeah. in this in this case, he's criticizing conservatives, but
1: it essentially further polarized the the wings. Right. But I'm, I'm actually kind of interested Bob in, in your theory about the, um, it uh kind of mirroring the, uh, the civil war, the, the theory or the myth of the switch of the parties or whatever. Hmm. That, that's, that's kind of an interesting uh, theory. I wonder if you have any more thoughts on that.
3: Just, just kind of what I was saying it was kind of just a spitball idea, but like if, if, uh, if they were anti-war then, and and they're pro-war now, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really have a lot behind it. It was just a, a thought that like that they they really wanted like unity and harmony and they resented that what they what they saw as conservatives, and it was conservatives, it was a lot of conservatives, were kind of taking that harmony from them, ending the nineties, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the golden age. And and now they're on the other side and they're very happy to in COVID like support the terror media and, and the, the, the fear peddling regime and, and they're happy well, to. Yeah. And
1: there's the, there's the meme that I think we've all seen of like the, uh, the, the right wing extremists online and it's, and it's a, a white guy, a Mexican, a black guy, and they're all right, right. And then the left wing, the, the left is like, they have their black day only at school or they have like their, their own segregation or whatever. And, and then, their own forms of misogyny and stuff, and so it's like it, it might be have been a slow turn, turn, but it seems like things have kind of have have flipped a, a bit. In I, and I
3: liked that that old liberal dream of like everyone in living in harmony together and you could make a racist joke and they can make a racist joke back at you in retaliation and you would both laugh at each other's exactly. jokes. Yeah that,
1: that's move. the that's the chad- that, that's that's right wing chad. That's the neighborhood I grew thing. up
3: with. There was a Mexican yeah. kid who made jokes about his race all the time and 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 we were all like having fun and, and messing around together and and now it's very very polarized and and those harmony seeking liberals aren't really around anymore. No, um, they, they you still have, claim you to have some centrists who claim to it, but most liberals, and maybe I'm internet poisoned, seem much more disavow your family over voting for Trump types, ra- rather than like, man, this 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 fragmenting of trust is bad and horrible. They're like accelerating it by participating in it, right? Mm-hmm. Wh- which is what the conservatives were back then. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: wonder if you can attribute attribute that expand on the, on your theory and attribute that to nine 11. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I I've, I've actually heard that before the switching of the parties, like either during or just after the civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And, and if you, if you kind of look at like how the, how the parties were then versus now, it makes a lot of sense. But I remember my mom telling me that in the George W. Bush era, I remember her saying, well, here's the thing. the, the conservatives now they not the conservatives the republican party now and this is like early 2000s so the era this song was as i was talking mm-hmm. about so the, the republican party now is literally the democratic party from 50 years ago
3: yeah yeah i i don't i don't buy that a lot because i think uh we've had an information genocide uh, uh, the, the the internet and mm-hmm. the the information age and the networking interconnectedness has just blown all bets off the table, right? At least a 100 plus years ago, you you would I'd read stories about like a Republican and a Democrat sitting down to dinner and politely debating some tax policy thing. And you could still debate tax policy and you could still be fiscally conservative and socially liberal or whatever, and, and there's those were still meaningful divisions up until about 9/11. And at which point the stakes just raised so high and being a liberal, isn't about tax policy anymore. It's about literally being a decent person. And, and for conservatives, it's the same thing. It's about literally being a realistic person, you know?
2: Yeah. Or being and literally, it, or being literally Hitler. It, it,
3: it you, you, it, there's not the polite interchange. Well, so yeah, now,
1: now there's a, a random hockey player. I've never heard about going viral on Twitter now or viral on the internet. And, 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 in ESPN and everything for not wearing
2: a rainbow Jersey, jersey pride yeah. Jersey. Cause he's Orthodox. Yeah. Right? I think and, I so, about
1: that. and so it, you not only can't have a, sit down and have a conversation with someone of a, of the opposite political bent as you, you can't like, if they're not actively supporting your thing, then they're a bad person. And they're, they're worthy of hours of, of like talking head time on ESPN. it's like, it's ridiculous.
3: I, I, I think if you looked at the parties today and you presented them in some sort of realistic light, if you, if you were capable of doing such a thing, if you're able to present a full picture to the parties of the civil war era, I think neither of them would be recognizable to anyone <laughs> yeah, um, I think because, because there's not like policy arguments anymore. Like, yeah. like the government passes 800 plus bills monthly pay 800 pages plus bills monthly and nobody in congress reads them nobody cares there's just massive spending going all over the place and it's just not even about that at all anymore
1: no it's not and even on the ground with just like the regular joe schmo, it's about who can pull their heartstrings the the hardest like like it's all just pure emotion and maybe it mm. always has been but like you have a conversation with with anybody that's any like normie that's like hyper political or whatever—it's—it's it's all about what what made them feel the most. What made yeah. them feel who do who quality. do you feel bad for more exactly? Hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. And, and I'm a southerner, and I was raised um, by southerners. I, I I didn't grow up in the south, but I was raised by southerners. I went on a mission in the south, and you know I, I feel a great kinship to the Confederacy, and I think they were correct in the Civil War. They 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 were there more righteous of the sides i suppose but i still wouldn't want to compare like modern conservatives to the slave-owning democrats of that day because i just don't think that there's a much of a overlap
2: it's apples and oranges i think a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah
3: The, the the ways principles worked back then was just different
2: yeah interesting to think about yep cool well that's that's all the lyrics we've got um and i think that's probably a a good place to kind of wind it down. Unless, um, do you guys have any f- parting like thoughts or comments about the song, the band, or these terrorist attacks, or anything else we've been talking about? Not <laughs> don't, really. don't don't invent one on my account. Just if you, yeah. pretty, if you, have, if you have something <laughs> <holding on> to.
3: <laughs> I think if we were to seek out that liberal dream of the early '90s, where everyone could live in harmony and stuff again uh i think the first step would be to reverse the memes that have entered our culture as a result of 9 11. uh not not just uh abolishing the tsa but but like believing that religious extremism is good right and and that was a common belief back in pre-9-11 times uh, everyone was very proud of their faith and, and very dedicated and you'd have you know atheists in this full spectrum but people took their beliefs a lot more seriously and there was a lot more respect between beliefs as a result of that because they wanted to live in harmony and you couldn't just bully people out of them as much yeah. um, through, through social pressure or cancel culture or whatever. Yeah. And so we want to reverse the narratives. And and that would be the first thing to do is, is show religious extremism doesn't lead to 9-11. Um, and that, the danger of that is it opens us up to another 9-11 because... Most Muslims, at least as far as I've seen online, hate the West and they hate America. And justifiably, I'm not too thrilled about America right now either. The, the London bombers, you know, if they, if they took recordings and they gave their reasonings of why they were going to do it. And whether you think their actions were abhorrent, they had reasons behind them that, that they were explicit. It, it was an act of war. They were fighting on behalf of their country for what they perceived to be righteousness. Righteousness. And if you don't grapple with that at the same time, you open yourself up for another nine eleven or seven seven or whatever. But you're not going to get back to diversity being anyone's strength unless you can tolerate that risk.
2: Yeah, we should definitely abolish the TSA. though. that was a good point. Yeah. Um, but do you do you think do you guys think that we've reached a point of no return though? As far as like getting back to your your liberal utopia you're talking about bob where it's like we can all live in peace and harmony with our differences do you think do you think that's even possible now are you still holding out hope or is or have we have can we not go back
3: i think we need one well-placed government terrorist no not terrorist we need a congressman with power to just pass one single well-placed law and i think the the fulcrum of power could be moved and everything would just slide back into place. And I don't know how realistic it is to get like a righteous man in Congress right now, (laughs) but we got close. Trump, Trump was banning CRT and he wasn't a righteous man. I I was not super thrilled with a lot of things Trump did, but he was actually rebalancing it in, in some meaningful ways and not, not necessarily all the right ones but it was kind of a proof of concept that we could get a person into government and he could make an actual difference that can improve people's lives. Cause Trump improved my life in, in very direct financial ways. I was able to start a family due to some of Trump's things. Same. Um, Not starting so a family. It, but, but like it, it was a proof of concept that you can get someone into power and, and make a meaningful change. And I've written on, on what I call shrines. And it's based on, it's a theory I have based on the way the Old Testament worked with, you had, you had righteous kings and you had wicked kings. And what happened in like Solomon's day or something was he built a bunch of shrines to Asherah and the pagan Baal and, and a bunch of fertility stuff gods. And after those shrines were there, they kind of attracted wickedness. In, in the culture. And people came to the shrines and, and however you wanted to, uh, to argue it, whether there's like a demon sitting outside the shrines, trying to recruit passerbys to come into the shrine and worship evil, or whether the people are just like, well, the shrines there, I might as well use it. The righteous Kings in the old Testament were characterized by destroying these shrines. And that act of destroying the shrines is what led to an age of prosperity. And so I believe we can do that today with a single righteous terrorist committing a nonviolent act of overturning Obergefell or or something like that. And I think if it was no longer legal, a lot of the, the masses would slide away from the extreme and abhorrent positions that they're currently more incentivized to support, like... Like, if we overturned go- Obergefell, if gay marriage was illegal, a lot of people take their morality from what's legal and not. And so...
2: As if at the measure of morality.
3: Yeah. And so they're like, well, it's legal, so it's okay. And so if you illegalize a lot of it, a lot of people will be like, well, it's illegal, so it's not okay. And then they'll invent rationalizations for why it's not okay to go along with it, or, or they'll just deal with it because you know, you can't change power or whatever. Are you talking, talking
2: about uh, Obergefell or Obergefell? Obergefell, the, the right, game. Okay. Edge one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's
3: a few, there's a few prominent ones like that. You know, ideally you just flip civil rights entirely and end affirmative action. And, and I, I think there, there's a few like laws like that, that you can metaphorically bomb to, to cause great good and righteousness to re-enter the united states or the west's bloodstream
2: so hypothetical here what if you had like a strong political figure who did enact a law one law to kind of shake up a system get some righteousness back in there but that law was making himself emperor no like like a caesar situation
3: yeah i'm sure <laughs> with that i don't care yeah. Yeah, I, whatever. I, I, book of moron kings are good if they're righteous if you can get righteous yep. kings.
2: Yep, it's just that's the, that's always the gamble. It's a roll it, of the it, dice. can you get?
3: It's not a roll of the dice, not on the first
2: king. <laughs> yeah, but after that.
3: After that it might be. And so that's why we have, you know, the judges and the checks and balances and stuff. But if you can get a righteous king, it would pretty obviously be superior to what we have now. Like if you True. if you asked anyone, conservative or liberal, like anyone off the street, and you proposed to them dissolving congress and re-electing new congressmen at random from the phone book just throwing a dart and just selecting random names you're in congress now you're in congress now and you're like do you think this would be better than what we have now and everyone would say yes like like there's nobody who thinks congress is like good yeah and so there's not a lot to lose (laughs) by some sort of radical action like that I guess there can be for some, like, like you hear about Antifa's trying to set up their like radically autonomous queer zones and those never go well. But like for right-wingers and conservatives, you have, you have some structure and
2: hierarchy and you could probably pull it off. Well, I'm always in favor of a strong man of history, just, you know, taking over and mm-hmm. shaking things up. Yeah, but there, I there, think- there's,
3: there's risks that conservatives' ways of solving things like, like kingmaking and stuff, that there's risks to that besides just besides just having the next generation have a bad king. There, there's there's like there's ways that like conservative groups tend to fracture. Like like uh, Bible Belt churches tend to like have some disagreement and then they just split off from each other like spores and stuff. And and that's more of a conservative phenomenon than a liberal one. And so there's lots of like group dynamics that you'd have to be aware of to set up a perfect system. But we don't need a perfect system. We just need something that's slightly better than what we have now, where one person would have the power to make real changes, which is like what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter. And he's done a lot of things that have sucked and a few things that have been really good. But he has the power to make the changes kind of on it, like, like they can actually happen now.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And either way, it does seem to be better than what it was.
2: Yeah. Well, when you hit rock bottom, sometimes anything looks better, I think too.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, I think, I think we've, um, we've been talking for a while here. I think, I think we're at a good place to stop. So Bob, we really appreciate you coming on the, on the show, man. And I'll be honest, like despite the song's obvious conservative, uh, antipathy, you know, an, an, yeah, antipathy, exactly. And um, it's, it's liberal bias. It's actually a good song. It's catchy. Like the guitar, the guitar line is actually really good. Um, And I know Block Party is kind of known, at least on this album, for this kind of a sound. So people listening, if you guys like the way the song sounds, lyrics aside, um, check out the album because I I know they got a lot more electronic with this album and everything. So I I really enjoyed the song. Uh, Like I said, all things considered. But... In the last few moments that we have, um, and i all apologize in advance for not prepping you on this, but do you have anything that you'd like to plug or where, where can people find more of whatever you're working on, any projects or where can they connect with you?
3: Yeah, I'm Bob DeDuck on Twitter and I'm very uh, available and reachable there. Um, I'm fairly active and prolific. I also write the hit newsletter, The Duck Stack, which is on Substack, duckstack.substack.com. And I'm also writing a book, a little fiction, on vanitypredelect.substack.com, which is uh, an urban fantasy where everyone's magic and it's uh, a lot of action, a lot of fun. So those are my projects that I'm doing right now. The Duck Stack I'm very dedicated to and I release every Tuesday, a new one. And you can get a lot of my content there and you can always follow me and talk to me on Twitter. I'm a congenial guy. I don't follow a lot of people. But I'm always happy to talk to anyone as long as you know they're not a, a liberal sending me gay porn. I don't really talk to those people.
2: Yeah, yeah. which was happening to a lot of us just like earlier this week. So, well, that's awesome, man. I did. I knew about the Duck Stack. I've read it. It's really good. A lot of big brain takes. So that's, I'm always a fan of that. I'm in the music chat with you, and I think we're, we're sort of mutuals. I did not know about the book you're writing. Now, is the plan just to release? The, the book you're writing on just the sub stack or are you going to eventually publish it all as like one volume on Amazon or something like that?
3: No, Yeah. I'm, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, I'm following the Webtoon model where you like, you post a new chapter and you paywall it completely. And then everything behind that is free for everyone to read. And so each week when I release a new chapter, it unpaywalls the previous one. So people can pay me because I'm hoping to make money. To read to to catch the new chapters earlier, right? To be a little more current and to support me. But other than that, yeah, it'll be like a rolling release, and it'll be be free for
2: everyone. Do you plan um, to ever release it in like a physical copy? Because I'll, I'll be honest, man, like I'm kind of more of a fan. Call me call me old old school or just old, hmm. but I'm kind of a fan of physical copies of books. And so, if I, I can tell you right now, like I think if you were to release even like a like a fairly low budget, like single like volume hardcover, that, or, yeah, no, hardcover or even paperback anything you know paper, but, but like, right. like a, but, but a physical copy um yeah. I, I i know i think there's a market for that especially with what we've seen with mystery grove and these other accounts who are kind of getting into publishing physical books well um, there might
3: be i don't consider myself like a huge big person that like has enough of a fan base to get away with something like that i guess and so if if i got like a ton of subscribers then I might consider it, you know? Yeah. Um,
2: Cause my thought was with that, and then I don't want to go off on a tangent here for the show, but um, my thought with that is if you have a bunch of subscribers subscribing to that and you publish a physical copy, who's going to buy the book? Cause all your subscribers have already paid to subscribe and read it already. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. But like there, there's free subscribers too, right? Yeah. It's true. Due to the nature of the fiction that I am writing, uh, physical copy is not, on the table until i have lots more than i currently have because i'm writing it from week to week each chapter it's very episodic that way the duck stack i people have said that they wanted a compilation of duck stacks (laughs) in in physical copy (laughs) i have enough duck stacks that i could probably do something like that year one of the duck stack year two of the duck stack yeah,
2: season one Uh, yeah. although I mean that's kind of like that's kind of the new thing now but it's just it's stuff to put on your shelf like I've got a whole bookshelf over here of stuff that you mm-hmm. know I'll, I'll read eventually because I don't know there's, there's something cool about like a physical book and that's just a personal thing for I, me I, but, I
3: agree and I read physical yeah. copy of the scriptures when I read them um, so I, I hardly ever do a virtual
2: that's, for that that's cool man we'll, we'll be sure to link like your 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 Twitter handle and the duck stack and also your your book Substack sure. um, in the in the show notes as well, so that's really awesome. Now, as far as last question on the book, um, the book that you're writing is it is it going to be just a single volume book, or is it going to be like a kind of a multi part series, you know, a trilogy or whatever? Or what's the ultimate plan? Do you know? Yeah,
3: the, the ultimate plan is I just keep writing it and keep publishing chapters because I like it. Okay, I'll, I'll give a little more background on it. So I've had this story tumbling in my head for decades probably multiple decades and the magic system is a little bit similar to avatar the last airbender but i wrote but i started i had the concept for it long before i knew about avatar and so they're copying me even though i hadn't you know written it yet but the the idea is like two three hundred years in the future everyone becomes avatar the last airbender magic and and they have the ability to manipulate one or more elements and everyone in the entire universe has this How does that transform america and and it ends up as a very like anarcho-capitalist society it's it's sort of a dystopia uh, a cyberpunk dystopia because you can have people who have an affinity to life and if you die they can resurrect you and so and so life insurance is just a contract with a life mage basically who will just (laughs) resurrect you when you die and that means that like gladiator sports are huge, like getting murdered in a back alley is not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and um, materialism, right? The stuff that people build is the stuff that really becomes perishable. Uh, hmm. and, and that's the cyberpunk dystopia it ends up in.
2: That's hmm. awesome, man. I'll have to definitely check that out. Like I said, I didn't even know about it to just this moment. So I'll definitely have to check that out because dystopia, especially like science fiction, fantasy dystopia. That's kind of my, uh, that's my jam right now. So that's awesome, man. Well, Bob, thanks again, man, for coming on the show. Um, it was, it was great to finally meet you in person more or less and, and hear more of your
3: fun to be uh, here. Yeah, it's the first talk- podcast I've gone on. So
2: awesome. I trip over
3: my words a bit.
2: <laughs> no, it's okay. I think, I think, I think you're great. And, uh, if you do have any other songs in the future, we'd be happy to have you back on. Um, but other than that, Scott, do you have any last no. minute, uh,
1: just to again thank bob uh thanks for coming on you you did really well for your first podcast very well spoken and uh articulate so yeah i guess with that if there's no more to talk about we can let the song play us out and uh yeah here we go
0: (laughs) No, Congress, my bit will not a standoid. No, a On the roof of my house, with a shotgun. It has a team Now it's terror Everything's crash into town The day now says the enemy's among us Taking our women and taking our jobs The reasonable fool is being driven But they're not your bang, bang fame, the for So I go hunting for witches I go hunting for witches to run. I love that someone
2: go off on a tangent here for the show, but